We um, are in First Peter. We're going to be at First Peter two, verse five tonight. Uh, anybody needs any any cheats? There are there are a couple here. Batting all that. Anyway, um, as we are in First uh, Peter chapter two, we're talking about a spiritual house, and while we're a spiritual house, we're also priests. As we uh, move out of verse four into uh, verse five. And it says in uh, verse 4, "...coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Use also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ." So, we start off here with, with God. That's what we talked about last week. Everything has to start with Him. And he's the living stone. He was rejected by men, but he's choice and precious by God. And we sang that song a while ago, you know, precious uh, is Jesus. Uh, here, the precious stone. Uh, earlier, Peter talked about the precious blood. Uh, so, that's a term that Peter will use there. And uh, as we looked at it last week, we said that that first phrase, coming to him, is really where everything uh, ought to be outlined from. That's that's the big point. Of course, that notes our salvation. But it's a constant coming to Him, though, too, isn't it? Always being uh, drawn to Him in a way that we seek Him out. And, of course, we talked about that. Um, so it's salvation, but it's our ongoing life. We came to Him as a living stone, as it says in verse 4. He is the living stone. And stone's <laughs> kind of a strange thing to say that they're living when... There's dead as a, a rock, but in this sense, as lively as can be because it's a messianic concept. The Old Testament people would have known that that was familiar. That was the coming Messiah, that stone. And the stone is a living one. And of course, we know that that brings out the resurrection and uh, the living Christ that we have. So we come to Him, the One who is the Messiah, the One who is the living stone, the One who has... Um, a kingdom, a great spiritual kingdom, and he has a building in this. And of course, in that building, we are the stones that are in that. And that's what he's getting to as he moves into verse 5. But it's interesting, this Jesus who is so precious and so choice by God, chosen, elect by God, at the same time we see in um, this whole text that it talks about he was rejected. Uh, he was found as an unworthy stone um, by the religious people the religious people of the Jews. And so what they do? They crucified Him. They saw Him as unfit as being that cornerstone of the religious house that they wanted to have. They wanted to build their own house and He was not the stone that they wanted. So He was rejected by men but he, and He continues to be rejected by men. In our time, most people reject this cornerstone, this Jesus Christ. But yet it says in verse 4 that He's choice and precious. In the sight of God. Uh, that kind of sets it up uh, for verse 5, won't we uh, have a word of prayer? Father, we uh, thank You for this precious Jesus, this cornerstone. And everything is built 
around him. Everything is focused upon him, and he is the true, the precious, the choice stone. And we get to see tonight as we look in this particular section that talks about us being living stones also in union with this choice and precious stone. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into this building, this temple, uh, this kingdom, uh, making us citizens of of um, your kingdom. And as we uh, look at this, may it uh, make an impact on our lives as we realize that we each are uh, made important by Him in this building that is being made. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, there's a union. We look at first, we see that cornerstone. We talked about that. He's perfect. He's the perfect cornerstone. Everything else is going to be built on that. If you don't have that that one stone right, then it's either going to be leaning forward, leaning backwards, leaning to the right, leaning to the left. And by the time you get that built, you're going to have that something worse than the leaning tower of Pisa, right? <laughs> it's going to be leaning. Um, but in this sense, He is the perfect cornerstone. All angles are absolutely perfect. And as we... Uh, See, in verse 6 and 7, we have some Old Testament quotes that uh, Peter used. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for they stumble because they are disobedient to the Word. And to this doom they were also appointed. Uh, Peter borrows uh, quite a few different Old Testament Scriptures and puts this all together. And uh, we see that as He is the stone, we are the living stones, we're in union, we have the very same character of Him. Now, we, we don't have the nature of that old man. We now have the nature of God, the quality of existence. Uh, we're not God or little gods, but we are one with Him in terms of the essence of our being. Uh, and, and Peter, uh, he will talk about us being uh, the very that, that nature of God, having that nature. We're, we're, so we're living stones as He is a living stone, we are living stones, and because of this very house, this spiritual house of God, um, He dwells in us. And of course, we know that we dwell in Him. And that's fascinating when you think about it. <laughs> Quite a union there, either, either way. I mean, so it connects on two ways. He's a stone, we're the living stones also. So by virtue, we have His character. And He's developing the very uh, character of, of Christ in us. I think of Galatians 2.20. Um, probably a great memory verse for a lot of you. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So, um, really, our life is Christ Himself. It's no longer I. It's not me. It's now Him. And I'm, I'm part of Him. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. 3 and 4. 
our union, union with Christ. It's so good to realize that. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So as far as the flesh is concerned, we'll have new bodies there. But right now, we've already died. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. That's remarkable. The, God of the, the Creator God, the God of the universe, has done that. Um, so that's what we have here in 1 Peter 2, 4, and, and 5. Now, we're being built up as a spiritual house, is what verse 5 is, is saying. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Christ the cornerstone. Believers become the stones. They move up from there and they're built up in the spiritual house. Uh, kind of a thought of knowing that the Spirit of God makes His habitation in us individually and as the whole body of Christ that's going up with these stones. He, uh, the Spirit of God has made His abode, His very dwelling in us. There's no other religion that has anything like that. Have you ever heard of anybody saying being in Buddha or in Muhammad or in Allah or in Confucius? <laughs> Think of any of the religions. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> That's probably because they would say God is in each of us. And, and right. We, it's gonna, yeah, and we are God then all of a sudden, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we need to discover our godness as as a lot of the Eastern religions would be, right? So, uh, He makes His abode. We not only have relationship with Him as far as that union that we're talking about, we have access to Him. But something even more remarkable is and this final mystery and the glory of the, the Lord is that God dwells in us. You know, we know that. We, we see that all throughout the New Testament. But the, the church is the holy temple that's being built up. And just like His presence that dwelt in the innermost sanctuary in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, as that represented Him being here on earth, even more so now, He is here on earth in the sense that He lives in us. You know, we, we look for Christ to come back, but in the spiritual sense... Uh, he dwells in us. Quite a, I mean, there's nothing like this. Look in Matthew 16, 18, and this is where Peter is asked by Jesus, hey, uh, who are they saying who I am? What are they saying? Who do you say that I am? You know, Of course, they're saying John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets and such. Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ the Son of the Living God. What a confession, right? And of course, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barlow, because flesh and blood do not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The reason you're able to say that and really know what it means even at all is because the Father revealed that to you. But, uh, you know, uh, quite a confession of faith. And, of course, in verse 18, that famous verse, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower. I'm going to build my church. Who's building the church? Jesus Christ. 
It's His church. He's building. He's the head of the church. He's building it. I will build my church, He says. And uh, He's doing it. He's been doing it for a long time. And He will continue to do that and until uh, He comes back. There's a great verse on the church in Ephesians 2. The building that's happening there, the temple. Ephesians 2, 19-22. He's been comparing them to different ways. He says in 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, or fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's what? Household. There's the house. There's the temple. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and of course they were revealed the Word of God, it's all built upon that. That's the foundation, Christ being the cornerstone, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole building being fitted together, just perfectly, being fitted together, is growing up into a holy temple in the Lord. Now here's a temple that's alive. It's growing in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Remarkable. Of course, you have your First Corinthians three six says, you know, we are the um, the temple. The body of Christ is a temple. You have First Corinthians three, First Corinthians six. Um, another a good one is in Hebrews chapter three, verse six. Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over His house, whose house we are. And you prove that, holding fast your confidence and the boast of your hope firm until the end. The house. The house that uh, the son is over. The house that the son is, is building. And you think of First uh, Timothy 3.15. A lot of passages on this. This is Paul again. But in case I'm delayed, I write also that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The household of God. The temple. It's the building. We're that, we're that house. Uh, and you know when you when you think about that uh, Ephesians two, it's like a, there's a process. We're being built. We're being fitted together. That's an amazing thing. This not only talks about our relationship with Christ, but it even talks about the relationship of the church, as they have local fellowships, as they learn to know who Christ is and how all that functions, and being able to use the gifts. As they're fit in there together, they, they need each other. Then out to the broader spectrum of the church um, worldwide, and even further, going back to all the way to the roots and all the way to all believers of, of all time, and we're connected to them. And of course, you think of um, you think of biblical characters, biblical people, the biblical writers, the apostles, and the Old Testament people. Then you can think of uh, how about some of your um, your favorite. Um, uh, dead guys, your dead, dead writers—they call them. 
<laughs> throughout the church. You know, of course, we think of, uh, of course, the Old Testament people are dead guys too. But uh, you think of, like, even through the Reformation, all the way on up through um, your 1800s, 1900s. You think of your your Spurgeons or your your Lloyd Jones. A lot of those guys that have long gone, and uh, they're part of that, you know. And so, even though we don't see them physically, but they're part of that building. So anyway, you have an eternal architect here, Jesus Christ. He's the architect. And he's drawn up, God has drawn up the very plans and the very details. All the specifications were there as uh, he planned this out. Nothing's by accident as he just throws in a rock here. And whoop, there's a rock there and it just throws them in. I mean, he, he grabs like a, a stone and he quarries it and he puts it in there and he still works on it as he puts it in there. And he definitely does some work on it, doesn't he? As he puts that stone in there. But as he adds to the building... But all this is a part of his purpose. And it's a perfect church, ultimately, when we know that uh, the way that he sees it and his righteousness. But we've been built into this. So God chose those stones just like he chose the cornerstone to put in there and uh, to, to get this started. Everything built on him. Um, precious. Precious is that cornerstone, but precious are the stones that he puts into this building. Uh, we're placed in it. I think, what a privilege it is. Uh, we're part of this a glorious edifice. I mean, a spectacular thing that God is building. I can't think of anything more glorious uh, of, of what God's creation is, is than his people and putting them together into this body or this building. He uses analogies of trying to put it on a human term that we can understand. Connected together, compacted together. And, uh, you know, men can add members to their church. You can have people joining churches and have a lot of people in there. And, of course, we know, Jesus told us, that a lot of people that are in, uh, um, as members, aren't necessarily Christians, aren't necessarily those living stones that are put in there. They may look like it, we may not ever know who they are and who they're not sometimes, but God is building that that house. And we're fitly, fitly framed together. You know, I mean, a master builder. Imagine that. And so we're close. We're near each other in this building, fitting right together. And there's not going to be any stone that's going to be, have to be taken out and, and destroyed. Those stones have been put in there for a reason. Okay. Living stones. What do you guys think? We'll start calling each other living stones now, right? <laughs> well, he doesn't stop there. He uses another analogy. Peter is um, using some different ideas. These are just tremendous privileges. And I'm falling way short of presenting this the way that I really need to. Despite the, the, the teacher here, take the Holy Spirit, <laughs> take these words and let them jump off and uh, right, right off the page to your own lives. Think about this. I mean, it's just immense what um, the position that he puts us into. Well, now he's going to say that we're priests. I notice that he doesn't say Pope. And evidently that, that Pope was put in today, huh? Yeah. Well... He's not my Pope. He's not your Pope. <laughs> a lot of people are excited. I'm not excited about it at all. I really don't care. 
because uh, he doesn't mean anything to me. My Christ, who is building this church, has priests, though, that serve him, and they're all Christians. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. I can't believe the difference in how I feel from when Benedict became Pope and how into that I was. <laughs> and today, I, I heard a bunch of people at work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I heard it all day long myself. We have a Pope, okay? Yeah, the news anchor guy has almost like tears in his eyes. <laughs> He's the most important man on earth, I, I guess. Well, well, we are priests. As we are the house, we're also priests in this house, if you can imagine that. Our privilege now as priests, well, you think of priest as drawing near to God, access to God to be able to do spiritual sacrifices. And of course, that's what he says at the end of 5 here. To offer up a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That, um, that tabernacle is replaced by the church. <laughs> we, uh, we complete what uh, was just a... a a big picture. And now that that's going on. His dwelling place. The priests are replaced by us. So the tabernacle or the temple, all the priests in it, here we are. This is it. And it's, it's dealing with spiritual sacrifices. Sometimes we don't see the beautiful edifices. You can imagine that temple that Jesus went to in Jerusalem at His time when that had been built up and with all the, the gold and the marble and uh, the huge, uh, huge place it was. But um, this body, this temple, far exceeds that. This is not something made with hands. This is made by the very God Himself. So we're functioning in this temple. If you go back to the temple, the tabernacle, all around that, you can only go so far. Go up to the brazen altar and that's really it. Everything else is up to the, the priest as they do their work daily, offering those sacrifices. But if you were to, to go there, basically it's like no admittance. No. Stop here. Stay away. You, you can't go any further. And a matter of fact, the priest could only go so far. And then we know about the high priest once a year could go all the way back into the Holy of Holies. And on that Day of Atonement, he could do that. Yom Kippur. Um, he would have a ceremonial washing and a spiritual confession, repentance of himself as he's preparing to... Um, get himself cleansed so that the rest of the people would be that way. Uh, it's all a picture of the ultimate sacrifice on the cross by Christ. But uh, he was to, to make sure that he was clean, that he had had his sins uh, taken care of. And whenever he would go in there, of course, he would have the bells on uh, and in case he would die. Because if he died, nobody could go in and get him so they could pull him out as they would have ropes there. If they heard those bells stop, uh, that would be a frightening thing. 
Uh, and this whole thing is frightening. It's a frightening event when you know that um, somebody like that um, that priest, uh, and only him can go back that far. And uh, that's that's a pretty big deal. Uh, holy priesthood, as we are today, we have total access right on into the Holy of Holies all the time, continually. And we're talking about uh, the Roman Church. Whenever you hear of uh, people that have um, come out of there and they've trusted in Christ as their own uh, only sacrifice, the testimonies, some of the ones that I've heard the most, is that, yeah, now I have access to Christ like I never had before. It's like they had they can go straight to Him without any other mediators. It totally freed them up. And that's one of the things that they say the most. And everybody goes, yes. You guys relate to that, some of you. Um, that's what we have. We have access to God anytime we want. We recognize that He is holy. Uh, so we just don't go jolly well in, you know. But at the same time, we recognize His holiness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy be Thy name. But at the same time, in another sense, that here we are, we, we have that. He invites us in. Anytime. And uh, boy, isn't that good to know? We can take that for granted. These are privileges that are just, just unbelievable. And so we can do the, the uh, acceptable sacrifices. That's what the priests did. That was their one job. Make acceptable sacrifices to God constantly. Ever going. Always going. So, what are the characteristics of the priests? Of a priest? Well, we know one thing. When um, you open up in the Exodus and Leviticus, you'll see the idea that God has for priests. And the first thing He did is that He chose the ones He wanted to be the priest. Not everybody could be a priest. And we'll see that it's only from one tribe. And um, we know it's going to be coming from uh, the Levitical, the Levite tribe. Um, when we look at Exodus and, Exodus and Leviticus, we see that you just can't volunteer to be a priest. Um, nobody votes for a priest, whoever the most popular ones are. They don't have some kind of intellectual test that you can take to be a priest. And there's no spiritual aptitude test that you can take if you're more spiritual than somebody else. You can't do that as far as the priests were concerned. Um, God sovereignly chose the priests that He wanted to start with. Uh, go to Exodus 28. Way back there to the law. 28 verse 1. I'll just read one verse. Have it on your outlines. I think I have Leviticus 28. Well, you'll keep turning and you'll find out something doesn't work. It ends with chapter 27. <laughs> a pretty good typo there. Exodus 28 says, Then bring near to yourself Aaron. He's talking to Moses. Bring Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priest to me. Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Hmm. Eliezer and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. So it starts off, this is who I'm saying right here that's going to be priest. starts off with that. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could go into that, couldn't we? Strange fire. Okay, so would you say it's safe to say there are no volunteers? Priests are chosen by God. Well, if they have the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone was chosen and precious. The stones are chosen. The priests are chosen. And if you remember in John fifteen sixteen said to the apostles what? You did not choose me, but I chose you. So it's all about God's sovereign grace there. So if you're a priest today, it's because you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian today, it's because you are chosen. And the reason I'm using that word is because Peter has been using it quite frequently. Have you noticed that? And that's what he's getting into. And that's what this whole section is, is about. And he uses precious a lot. Have you noticed that? A precious value, a precious stone, a cornerstone, a pr- the precious blood. Uh, so, he chose a tribe that was rather crude, if you remember. Uh, they weren't a tribe that would necessarily be bragging about. They were from a sinful uh, background, weak. Levi, Levi was one of the least respected tribes out of all the tribes. Uh, they've been cursed. One of the least respected tribes. God's still choosing that same kind of people. The ones He wants to be priests, He says, what, in 1 Corinthians 2? You guys know where I'm getting at? Consider your calling or your salvation or your election or your being brought in to Christ. Consider that, he says, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. That's out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, I said chapter 2. That's in chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 2 talks about the revelation of God that was given to us, uh, the Word of God, and how we're able to understand it uh, because it, it's He that opens us up. But uh, everybody knows that section, right? And I think of Jesus whenever He chose the uh, disciples and other people to be Christians. You think of Matthew. Then he goes to Matthew's house. This happens to be in the, the Peter uh, or uh, in the Mark passage that we're dealing with this week. But he goes to that house, and who's at the house of the hated tax collector? Sinners, people that the religious people never hung out with. Matter of fact. If you go so far as looking at what their uh, the Mishnah and some of their writings and traditions and such that they had, uh, you stay so many feet away from sinners. 
you don't you don't talk at talk to them. You don't be in the same house. So I found that fascinating that some Pharisees and some of the religious people were in the same house with them. But I guess that was the time to uh, really condemn Jesus. They were looking for something to get him on. But um, isn't that interesting? He saves the ones who are really not. Not anything. Of course, nobody really is. But the ones who uh, understand that they're not righteous and they need a Savior, that's the ones who the doctor goes to, isn't it? The physician goes to the people that recognize that they are not mighty, they are not noble, that they're foolish and weak and base and despised. And God does that so He can be glorified. So that's why we can all, as Christians, realize that He humbled us. And we understand that it's all about Him, isn't it? I think Peter definitely knew that. He keeps talking about this. And now you know, he just spreads this out and says, we've been put into this. Look at this. Peter knew he didn't deserve it. Incredible. Well, priests are also cleansed of sin, aren't they? What's the first thing they have to do? They would, they would cleanse them. In Leviticus 8.6, it talks about a washing. Um, the priestly duty was to, to keep themselves clean. They would have a laver in the tabernacle. You have the brazen altar, but then the laver where you, you would wash your hands. You have your feet washed as they would minister all day long. So you can't enter the priesthood until you've been cleansed. And, of course, we've been forgiven of sin. There's been a total cleansing of us, top to bottom, as far as God is concerned. If the, the priest would be cleansed, he would have it dealt with the right ear, which talks about hearing, listening, which would mean hearing the Word of God, right? So that would be cleansed. Then a right thumb would be cleansed. Well, why a right thumb? Well, it's representing the hands, and it's talking about sanctifying the hands for the work of God. So we have the Word of God, we have the work of God, and then also you have the little you have that toe, the right toe, big toe, right? To sanctify the feet for the walk that we have with God. So a priest would be cleansed and it dealt with the word of God, the work of God, and the walk with God. Look at uh, John thirteen eight. Remember this? Christ washing the feet. Peter says to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. I mean, this is a washing. The washing of the water of the Word is cleansing, the you know, forgiveness. Son Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not only... There he's talking about. He's already washed us, but there's a daily sanctifying, isn't there? And that's what the priests did as they had that labor. It was a an ongoing washing and keeping cleansed. How about their clothes? Well, the priests had particular clothes that they would wear. In uh, Exodus 28, you can turn there if you like, but uh, I'm moving on quick. Verse 42 talks about the breaches 
as I think the King James had, the linen breeches or the bridges. <laughs> uh, that was actually what was to cover the the flesh from the the loins to the uh, the thighs. They had to wear these little shorts kind of thing underneath. Um, yeah, yeah, holy underwear. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I wonder if that's where they get that. Um, there was a tunic. Uh, there was a belt. There was a robe. There was an ephod. There was an artistic <laughs> band. There was a breast piece. Uh, there was a golden plate. You know, holy is the Lord. The holy crown. And it symbolized that unique call that they had of purity and virtue and identification with God. I mean, priests were really set apart. So they were clothed with service, uh, for service. Well, even in the Old Testament, we can see that it talked about a clothing that believers are supposed to have. You guys already know what it is, right? I will put on my what? 132 verse 9. Let your priest be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. Let your priest be clothed with righteousness. How about verse 16? Her priest also I will clothe with salvation. We have salvation. We have righteousness. So, you look at this. You know, We've been chosen. We've been cleansed. We've been clothed. Of course, you can think of all the verses that uh, that, that robe of righteousness that uh, has been put on us. Um, priests were also anointed for service. Remember, they would have the oil put on them, uh, an anointing. It was uh, a setting apart of uh, Aaron's sons. Um, anointing means an identification with. Anointing actually is Mashiach or Messiah. Christ is the anointed one. He was anointed as prophet. He is the anointed priest. He's the anointed king. And that's the offices that they would be uh, anointed with oil and being identified with. It was, a, it was a particular power and presence of God that nobody else had. So the priests were to have that kind of an anointing for their service. Um, of course, Christians today are anointed what? with the Holy Spirit. We all are anointed. We have been uh, placed into quite a position for service. So, what a special anointing. You shall receive power, Acts 1.8, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember that? Of course, they went out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to uttermost parts of the earth. First John 2.20 says, we all have an anointing of God to be able to discern and uh, know what is, is truth. Um, we're also prepared for service before you can function as a priest. Back in the Old Testament, is a preparation of, of the heart, the readiness of the mind, readiness of the heart. Uh, of course, that's, you know, we are to be prepared constantly. Of course, you think of the Word of God being renewed. Um, Priests were ordained to obedience. That's another thing. Um, Peter has already said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And there he, where he talks about obedience, that's in chapter 1. Um, priests were to have a high regard for the Word of God. 
Uh, Malachi 2 actually compares good priests versus the ones who were false. Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 2, 4, and 5. Then you'll know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence, so he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. Some of those are what a good priest does. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. There's some more things about the priest there. Uh, Not only is he having a high regard for the Word of God, did you you notice some things there at the end though? They, uh, They walk with God. The priests have an impact on sinners. And they also are messengers of God. Would you say that all of those work for us today as being priests? That's what we do, isn't it? Just a few more minutes. It says spirit, offering up spiritual sacrifices. This is what we do. As uh, this is what this is all about. What is that? What's the spiritual sacrifices? Um, it's the goal of everything, really. It must be very important. What are they? Go to Romans twelve one and two. This is a spiritual sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies. There is a sacrifice. Our bodies. Because they're very useful. (laughs) Acceptable to God. There's the word. That's what Peter uses. Sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So right there in Romans 12.1, right off the bat, it shows after we've had all that rich doctrine, he says, okay, now, live it, present your bodies as sacrifices that are living. Not dead ones, but living. And we, Peter said what? We are living what? <laughs> living stones, living sacrifices, an act of worship, our spiritual service of worship. Another one is Hebrews 13. Here's a good sacrifice. Offering up sacrifices as priest. Through Him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice. Sounds like priestly duties, doesn't it? Of praise. When you praise God, when you praise Him individually, of a morning, when you first get up, when you're praying, you are doing your sacrifices. Um, as you go throughout the day, you might even sing a song or hear a song, hear the words, hear a message on the radio, a CD, read a book, and then you think about praising Him. And uh, then you get together with God's people and sing songs and and read Scriptures. Get around His Word. Praising Him. That's a sacrifice. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. And that's the next one. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He will accept them and He's pleased to do it. So, 
You have bodies in Romans 12. Hebrews 13 here mentions praise and thanksgiving. That's our sacrifices. And then in verse 16, and don't neglect doing good and sharing. He reminds us there, acts of love that we have for the rest of the the body. Um, How about... um, Paul, whenever he was receiving uh, gifts of support from the Philippian church, and he said, I received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable, what? Sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. As they were giving their offerings to uh, him and the churches uh, all over. So don't neglect doing good, such sacrifices God is pleased. So, offering up our bodies, praise and thanksgiving, and acts of love, that's two, you know, giving everything to God, giving and giving our praises from our lips, and then outward to people, you know, takes in the whole thing. And that's, that's priests. That's what the priests do today. We're all priests. The words you speak, the deeds you do, the songs you sing, when you do them spiritually. We worship in spirit and truth. When you do them on reliance on the power of the Spirit of God, according to the will of the Spirit of God, and for a manifestation of the Spirit of God, when when the church is doing this as a as a whole body or as, as a temple individually, boy, you know what? That manifests Jesus Christ. And that's how people can see the temple or actually Christ today through the church's life. That's it. It's 8 o'clock. I was going to try to cut early tonight so we could get a few things out of here. (laughs) We're trying to move. We're hoping that we can get that um, taken care of and maybe Sunday morning we will be over at the, uh, the other place. We're thinking. I'll keep in touch. We'll make sure that everybody knows. Great to have you guys with us and bringing a guest with us. <laughs> you guys are certainly welcome. I think it might be a little bit more family friendly over at the other building. There's a little more room. There's actually a little room of uh, of relief there if you need it. Uh, cry room and every whatever else. Yeah. That, that needs to be done for the, the little guys. A nursery. We'll have a real nursery. Right. A room. A room nursery. Anna is doing fine. Talked to Zach before I got here. So uh, somebody had asked, and then I could tell you. Uh, somebody else is sick around there. Has a, has a little bit of fever. And my phone was going out. And I said, Zach, my phone is going out. And so he said, well, we'll see you later. But um, so I said, okay. Sounds like things are a little more normal then. <laughs> Somebody said, and it wasn't Anna. She's over all the her fevers and everything, so she's doing good. Yeah, we'll keep praying for her. But sounds like the rest of the family might need to be prayed for now too. Does her head still look like a mushroom? You know, I wanted to know. I wanted to find out, but uh, I know as of last week it it was going down a little bit. So I would think probably a little more. Uh, supposed to be here this Sunday. Yep. Supposed to be this week. We we used to call them when I worked. We used to call them little mushroom heads. 
because their heads were kind of swollen and they shaved them on their little bodies for a while. Oh, yeah. Probably so. Yeah, because she got home and started walking. Yeah. 